Hello and welcome back to our daily devotional podcast. First, let me apologize. I'm sorry that I had been rushing through the devotions at breakneck speed for the past two or three weeks. Um, I realized that I was taking two huge chunks to talk about, to do devotions. And um, well, so I've decided um, to go slow now. Um, and so I'll be taking little bite-sized uh, portions instead for devotions from now. Um, the Word of God is way too rich to actually rush through it because there's so much in each small paragraph that we could talk about and learn from. And so today I'll just deal with Acts chapter 16 and verse 1 to 5, just five verses, and we'll see what that teaches us about God and about decision-making. Let us pray. Father, speak your truths to us. Give us wisdom, but allow your word to really affect the way we think, the way we live. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 16, verse 1 to 5. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. Right before us is a contradiction. Paul was bringing a message from the church, from the elders and the apostles in Jerusalem to all the churches um, in the surrounding regions. And the message was this, that circumcision was no longer necessary. The only things that were necessary were these four rules, remember? Uh, abstain from sexual immorality, from idol worship, from eating animals that had been strangled and from blood. But circumcision was clearly no longer necessary for anyone to be a Christian. But here was a case where he was bringing with him a companion with that message, Timothy, who had not been circumcised. Timothy's mother was Jewish, his father was Greek, and clearly Timothy, even as young men, had not been circumcised. But he had heard the gospel and he wanted to be a, and he became a Christian and a faithful and fervent disciple of Jesus Christ. And he also wanted to follow Paul in his journeys. Paul was taking this uncircumcised uh, Christian to share the message that circumcision was no longer necessary for a Christian. And then Paul decided to circumcise Timothy. Wasn't this a great contradiction? in itself, that he could have used Timothy as an example. Here's a Christian who's not circumcised. And yet, it says that Paul, for the sake of the Jews who were in those places, decided to circumcise Timothy. Think of it this way. Paul was faced with a dilemma. He wanted to reach everyone, and he did not want circumcision to, circumcision to stand in the way of anyone hearing the gospel. The problem was that many Jews were still stuck to the idea that one had to be circumcised to be a Christian. 
Now then, if Paul were to preach to the Jews with an uncircumcised Christian, Timothy would have stood out almost like a sore thumb or a huge pimple in the face. Everyone who heard the preaching of the good news would be turned off by the fact that one of them, one of the preachers, was uncircumcised. They would not have been able to open their minds to receive the gospel. If, on the other hand, everyone who preached to them was circumcised, but then they said to them, well, we may be circumcised, but circumcision is not necessary, then perhaps the Jews would allow themselves, give themselves a chance to listen to the gospel. What Paul did was to reach out to the Jews, and he did not want an uncircumcised partner to be the stumbling block. He didn't want Peter, uh, Timothy to be the one who would stop, who would distract the Jewish listeners, who would stop them from even opening their minds and their hearts to receiving the gospel. In order to be acceptable to the Jews, Paul decided to circumcise Timothy. Now, it must have been a very difficult decision because I'm sure Paul would have had many critics as well. People would have said, this is a hypocrite. Paul brings a message that circumcision is not necessary and then he goes on to circumcise his own partner. What a hypocrite. Paul would definitely have faced criticism of that sort. On the other hand, Paul's consideration was this. If Timothy comes with me and he's not circumcised, then the Jews would immediately write us out off. They would not even be open to listening to the gospel. As Paul weighed these two, his one consideration was this. How do I help my listeners? How do I help my audience come to know Christ? How do I open their hearts and their minds to Christ? What people said of him was immaterial. If people criticized him for having double standards, or being a hypocrite, that was fine. What he wanted was that the Jews be able to hear the gospel for themselves. And this is how Paul explained it. He wrote, he writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19 to 23. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19 to 23. Do look this up after this devotion. This is what Paul says. Though I'm free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews I became like a Jew, to win the Jews. To those under the law I became like one under the law, though I am not under any law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak I became weak, to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all means I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel, that I might share in its blessings. Paul is very clear here. He says, I have become weak for the weak, to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. To Paul, there is one primary consideration, that I will do anything, I will be anything to anyone, just to draw that person to Christ. The problem with this is that it leaves a lot of discretion to the Christian. We are people who 
prefer to be bound by rules and policies most of the time. It's clear. If I'm allowed to do A, I will do A. If, I'm, if B is prohibited, I will refrain from doing B. It makes life very clear. But in this case, Paul blurs it off by saying that I will be anything, I will be everything to everyone. To the Jews, I will be a Jew. To the Greek, I will be a Greek. To the weak, I will become weak. To everyone, I will become everything that I might bring the gospel to them. Paul basically muddied the waters, but for one purpose only, that everyone, as many as possible, might receive the gospel. You see, it brings to mind that the gospel, the Christian life, is not a mindless thing. It is not a mindless obedience to rules and regulations and laws. The Jews needed these laws, they thought, because they expanded on the Ten Commandments. They added laws to everything. It made life simpler in one sense. It was clear what you could do and what you could not do. On the other hand, it restricted because it restricted living and it restricted proper engagement in relationships. Because relationships are never rigid and always fluid. In our lives then, we need to observe the same. Not that we have freedom to do anything that we feel like it and justify, rationalize everything that we want, but to do all things with one purpose in mind, that we might reach another and help another person to know Christ. For that then, we need to use our discretion and to use it a great deal. In using our discretion, things also become complicated because different people will interpret different things differently. Let me give you an example. Some years ago, a man who was under our church's financial aid program um, needed to pay for a funeral for his mother who had just passed away. He loved his mother very much and he wanted to do a simple thing to send her off, a simple Buddhist funeral. He wasn't going to ask for something extravagant, but he felt that the least he could do was to organize a Buddhist funeral, the cheapest he could find, but at least have a priest to pray for her. Now, our church's policy, obviously, was that you can't support someone else's um, non-Christian beliefs. I mean, if this person wants to organize a Buddhist funeral, surely the church cannot sponsor that. I felt differently. I felt that to this man, giving his mother a proper burial, a proper send-off, was something that he wanted so much to give, an expression of his love for his mother. True, I agreed with all the Christians that doing all these rites would not make a difference to his mother who had by now gone left the earth and was for God in his mercy and compassion to decide what to do with her. That was my conviction. But to this man, the only way he knew how to express his love for his mother then was to have a Buddhist funeral. And the way then that I felt, the way then to let that man know that we cared for him, that we loved him, we cared for how he felt, was then to support him and to pay for the funeral. Funeral expenses were not high because he was not an extravagant man. He had chosen the simplest one but at least a decent one. And I felt then that we could express our care, our love for him 
by paying for the funeral expenses. The church committee, of course, refused because they said that's encouraging pagantry, paganism. We deferred. Eventually, they, the committee prevailed, and I let go of that. Thankfully, this man found funds to pay for his mother's funeral expenses, eventually continued with us and became a Christian. I'm very glad for that. But I still wonder if, in this case, I was right. That in order to express our love for him, who knew the only way he knew how to express his love for his mother was to have a Buddhist funeral, that we could then have paid for his mother's funeral expenses. But you see how debatable this is? The people that I disagreed with were fervent Christians as well. They loved God very much. And so did I. We simply thought differently. And if there were no rules as to this, the debates could go on and on. But so be it. Because if the question that we now keep focusing on is, what would help this person come to know the Lord Jesus Christ? Then I'm okay with letting go of my view and saying, well, if by being firm, you're allowing this man to know the truth, then I say, well, you might be right, and I'm fine with that. As long as I know that in each of our hearts, there's one primary condition, one primary consideration, that we do it for the sake of this man, that this man may come to know the saving grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then whether we support him for his mother's funeral expenses or we don't, it's not such a material thing. If all our minds are united in helping this person know Jesus Christ. And this principle applies to many other things in our lives. People have often asked me, can I marry a non-Christian? My answer often isn't just the simplest, no, he must be a Christian. Because in the first place, many Christians are really badly behaved and not really living out the gospel. So if I were just to say, oh, as long as he's a Christian, that's fine, I would be setting the person up for disaster as well. On the other hand, I cannot just say that, oh yeah, sure, go and marry anyone you want, Christian or not Christian. Nor can I put down a rule that says, no, you only can be a Christian. But what I would do is to sit the person down, assume that it's a girl, and I'll sit her down and I'll ask her, how open is this person to being a Christian? More importantly, how open is he to hearing you share the depths of your heart about your relationship with Jesus Christ? Now, I don't want him to just humor you, you know, to just uh, say, oh yeah, 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 let me listen to you because I'm madly in love with you. That doesn't help at all. But I would want to ask seriously, how free are you to share the gospel with him? If you feel that you don't want to offend him by, and, and so you will not talk about your faith, you hide that part, then it's a recipe for disaster because after you're married, there's this whole part of you, your deep love for Jesus Christ that you cannot share with your loved one. That would be disastrous, wouldn't it be? On the other hand, if you were free to share your faith with him, and if he openly receives, sure, he might share his faith with you as well and you could discuss it. But if he's very open, if he's keen and he wants to read up and listen more, if he's a searching person, then I'd say don't write him off right now. Continue to pray, continue to ask for wisdom. 
above all, continue to love Jesus Christ. Deepen that relationship with Him. And when you have a deep relationship with Jesus, then you decide how much of Jesus can you both share together. If at the end of the day you realize that you can't share very much with each other this common faith, then it's no longer a rule. It is that you that two persons of different faiths cannot marry. But rather you realize that you're not compatible. Because you can't share what is deepest in your heart with someone you love, then you it's hard for you to get married or it's not possible for you to have a great relationship. If you have to hide your faith from your boyfriend, then surely he would not be a great person to marry. If on the other hand, he enthusiastically wants to learn and debates with you and questions you, but nonetheless genuinely wants to know, then I'd say, take your time, share with him and let that grow. It's never a right or wrong decision. Some will say that I'm being too liberal. And yet I I did one... um, this girl was all ready to drop her boyfriend. She came to me in tears and said, I love him very much, but for the sake of Christ, I'm willing to let him go. And as we talked, I realized that this man was very earnest in knowing the faith. He just couldn't be dishonest with himself. He said, look, until I am convinced, I cannot just jump into the faith. And I respected him a lot because he wasn't just going to be a Christian just to make his girlfriend happy. He sincerely wanted to know, but he sincerely would not receive Christ until he was convinced. So I prayed with her, we prayed together and talked and encouraged her. A few years later, they came to me and said they were ready to be married. He was going to be a follower. In fact, this guy was so sincere that even when his girlfriend, the Christian, was away on an overseas assignment, he came to church and sat alone having not even told his girlfriend that he was coming to church. But week after week, he came and sat in church and listened and wanted to learn. And I knew this man was sincere. Though he was not a Christian yet, I did not feel it right to ask my member to drop him as her boyfriend. But these are difficult decisions. But if it is because we care for the other side, Perhaps then that will be the guiding point for our decisions. But there is another part that Paul talks about, the same thing about our freedom. And I'd like to read from 1 Corinthians again, chapter 8, verse 1 to 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 to 13. This is what it says. Now about food sacrificed to idols. We know that we possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know, but whoever loves God is known by God. So then about eating food sacrificed to idols. We know that an idol is nothing at all in the world, and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many idol lords. Yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things come, came, and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. But not everyone possesses this knowledge. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a god, 
And since the conscience is weak, it is defiled. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat, no better if we do. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all your knowledge eating in an idol's temple, wouldn't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause them to fall. Paul is making this principle. He's saying, to some of us, Christ is everything, God is everything. Sure, there are lots of idols and there are lots of lords, but these are irrelevant, they're insignificant. There is for us only one God and one Lord. And so any food that is offered to any of these smaller lords and gods and idols are nothing at all. And we are free to eat anything because we worship only one God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. But someone else may not feel the same way. That person may have been steeped in idol worship. When he sees, and whenever he thinks of food offered to idols, he thinks of food offered to those gods. When he sees a Christian eat that food, He could be stumbled in one of two ways. First, he could be influenced also to eat and join them. And if his conscience is weak, then he feels that he has fallen. On the one hand, he he thinks that his Christian leaders are eating it, so it's okay to eat. On the other hand, when he eats it, he feels terrible about it. And he feels like he has defiled himself. Or some may simply glibly eat and be influenced and just go back to idol worship. But either way, a person who does not have the strength of faith that the stronger person has will stumble in different ways. And so we need to be very careful and to balance our compassion, to balance our freedom with a consideration for others. Let me share with you something and I, because I can share with you, I can also explain the circumstances. A cousin of mine was a very dear cousin of mine. Her husband passed away suddenly. They were Christians, but his parents were very staunch Buddhists. And they wanted to give him a Buddhist funeral. And so family gave him a Buddhist funeral. But they wanted more than that. They wanted his widow to show her loyalty, her commitment to their son. And so they insisted that this girl, this my cousin, go to the temple with his ashes to place the ashes in the temple. My cousin, of course, was very traumatized. In the end, Jeannie and myself, my wife and I, decided, okay, we'll go to the temple with her and we'll stand in the temple. Because to us, a temple is nothing at all. We only worship one God. And we assured her, don't worry, we'll all go to the temple together. But I remember that as I went to the temple, I was very discreet also. I didn't wear my collared shirt and all that. I sneaked into the temple. Not because I was afraid that I would be caught by a church member and disciplined for it, for going to a temple. But simply because I realized that if I was seen by another person entering a temple, and that person then saw, oh, pastor also can go temple, so I also can go temple. 
And they would go for different reasons as well. They might go to pray for 4D, they might go to pray for health or some, for something. Since pastor can also go to, pray, go to temple, so can I. On the other hand, of course, I needed to go to the temple so that I would be with my cousin. And so we sneaked into the temple discreetly and then stood by the altar and as the priest prayed, and that was really the grace of God because as the priest was praying, Jeannie and I were also praying in tongues and all that. And at the end, the priest just said, Oh, I cut short the ceremony. I know that you, you guys are not Buddhists and you're praying yourselves to your own God. So I decided to simplify things. But don't worry, I'm very easy on such things. Well, that's the good part about Singapore being multi-religious. The priest himself was very fluent in English, English educated. And then he talked about faiths and he said oh, yeah yala doesn't matter la. uh and he kind of made things very easy for us but the reality is this that we often have to make difficult decisions like this same for eating food offered to idols it is highly debatable you know for some families it would be good if you were to eat the food that your fam your relatives eat together because you don't want to be so different from them. You don't want to be standoffish. I know that some Christians will have a separate table, just the wife and themselves, or the Christians on one side, and the non-Christians on another. The Christians will eat different kind of food on special occasions. Now that could be good for some, because it would make a clear stand that we are different. But for another, it may be just disastrous. Because it's separating you from the fellowship of your family members. What you want is really to be with your family members, to love them, to be with them. And if that's the case, then maybe eating the food offered to idols, eating together with them, is the best thing. And yet for another family, it may be not so good. It may be good that you separate from them because that helps them to realize that Christians worship a different God, different Christians worship the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You see, that makes things inconsistent, right? One Christian family eats together with a non-Christian family and eats food offered to idols. Another doesn't and separates themselves. But if we would not just follow consistency, but if we were to think carefully about what it means to the family, and so for one family, family togetherness is more important. To another family, the separation of religion and faiths is more important. Then we have to decide for ourselves. But the principle is this, principles are these. First, it is done out of love for everyone around. It is done out of love for the non-Christians. It is done out of love even for the Christians who may have a different, weaker conscience. A lot of things have to be considered. But the second principle is this, that it can never, must never be done out of pride, out of a boastful nature that says, oh, my faith is so strong, it doesn't matter what I can do. I'll do anything. It's true, we can do anything. We are free to do anything. The question is, pride hurts everyone. And the question then is, do we do it out of consideration for everyone present? We need a lot of wisdom in this. We need to pray for God to guide us. I remember a friend, a close friend of mine, telling me about his business associates. These business associates were Korean missionaries and businessmen. They were real tent makers. You see, they were handling construction projects worth hundreds of millions of dollars. 
huge projects. But they themselves were drawing for themselves a salary that was much lower than mine. They simply drew a very small salary that they could use all the other profits to give to the poor and to help others. Such was their nature. They dealt in very godly ways full of integrity. They were, in many ways, blameless. One day they had a prospective partner, very rich man, who came. In fact, these people loved him so much, they wanted him to be in their fellowship. And they, but they still made a condition. They said, we will receive you as our partner if you will just be open to listening to our sharing of Jesus Christ, open to learning about Jesus Christ. You don't have to be a Christian, but at least hear us out and let us share our faith with you. These men were very sincere. I mean, they were willing to not have this rich man as their partner. On the other hand, they wanted so much to reach out to him. And so one day during the recreation, they were swimming together in a private pool. And knowing that this man was very profane, every sentence was peppered with the F word. The Koreans went to the pool and peppered the whole conversation with F words as well. I mean, my friend was horrified and yet he realized what it meant. That these Koreans made it easy for that man to feel comfortable with them. That he might be open to hearing the message of the gospel. And so while in all company these Korean missionaries were very polite, gentle in their speech, they became profane like this guy just so that he might feel comfortable with them. Now this is very controversial. I'm sure many of you will be jumping up and objecting and I'm sure that's true. Maybe you ought to, re to object. And yet in making such decisions, their primary consideration was pure. Their motive was pure. They wanted him to know Christ and they would do anything to be like him that he might be drawn to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Many of the things then that we do may be controversial. Paul circumcising Timothy was highly controversial. But he did it nonetheless because he knew that there would be Jews who would be open only if all the preachers were circumcised. And so first of all then we shouldn't judge one another. But we should begin to adjust our mindset to one consideration alone. How do we help others to know Christ. Even in that, we will disagree. But at least even in our disagreements, we have one thing that we have in common. It is the love of the gospel, and it is done out of love for all concerned. And if we were to work then with this primary principle, sure, we will still disagree and we will still argue, but at least we will have taken the right step in moving, in walking, in line with the Holy Spirit, in drawing all people to the saving knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Father, it's all very confusing. For us, it is so much easier to follow one rule, this or that, yes or no. That if all the rules were written for us and we just mechanically follow them, that would make our lives so much easier. But Father, that's not your style, nor is it the way you created us. 
For you created us to engage with one another, to think for ourselves. You created us with hearts and minds that we could engage both our hearts and minds to make decisions. And so often we would, one Christian would defer from another. One situation would require one form of action, another situation require a different form of action. And we need so much wisdom from you. Because one decision that we might make which we think pleases you, another may think is an offence to you. And yet in that situation, it may be the best in our view, and in the situation, it may another situation, something else might be different. And God, we ask that you guide us. But at the very least, keep our consciences clear and clean. That we will not act to save our skin. We will not act out of pride or boastfulness. But above all things, we will act out of love for you, out of love for those around us. And Lord, then give us grace to give leeway to others, even when we make mistakes in making such difficult decisions. That you help us to refrain from judging one another, but that if we disagree, we may gently admonish, but also gently listen. In so doing, Lord, we may be truly your children who are peacemakers and who will bring your word to others in the best way that we know. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm afraid I have left you with very difficult things to think about. These are realities and I pray then that every day as you face these life's realities, you will prayerfully turn to God and ask Him for wisdom. Well, have a blessed day. God bless you. Goodbye.